course they didn't write it. They couldn't fucking write. So welcome back to another episode of Reason to Doubt. Uh, today, Jordan and I are going to be talking about whether or not the Gospels in, in the New Testament are eyewitnesses or written by eyewitnesses. Um, typically in Christian tradition, especially if you grew up anywhere in America, you probably came across the idea that all four Gospels were eyewitnesses. It's taught that they were there and you can trust what the Gospels have to say, the Gospel authors have to say, because they were written by people who were there uh, at the time. So, yeah. Uh, the the line is they were written by eyewitnesses in the time of eyewitnesses, yep. and it kind of makes sense if you just read them. It's the, it's the gospel according to Mark. So Mark, I mean, he's the one who did it. This gospel according to Matthew, you know. So, um, and they're they're all right there: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, but, but the uh, names are literally right on them, the, Jared. They say it right there. So that's it, right? We're done. Yeah. Okay. Cue and music. I want to apologize ahead of time. I'm a little sick, so if a cough sneaks by, that's why. Uh, but I'm muscling through for you, our two regular viewers. <laughs> nice. So as good skeptics, uh, we don't just accept this claim without evaluating it. And there is really good reason to believe that the Gospels were not written by eyewitnesses. Um, I think first, though, it's important to kind of give some background on what the Gospels are, uh, what we know about them historically just so we can have some a baseline to move forward from. And, and uh, to preface this, um, my, my undergrad study was in religious studies, and I concentrated on Christianity, particularly Christianity in the Near East in the first century. And then my master's is in theology. So I'm very familiar with this topic. Um, by no means does it mean I'm an expert or that I'm a figure of authority, but I am familiar with with the arguments from both a Christian and a skeptic's perspective. So, uh, but first there's, there's four gospels in the new Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was actually the first gospel, the first gospel to be written. And it wasn't written until about 70 AD or CE for us skeptics. Um, and, and we know that for a couple reasons, um, one of them to, is that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus makes predictions about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And there's certain other key elements that textual critics pull out to point that these things could not have been known until after that time. Uh, and so they, uh, most scholars, Christian and secular, date the writing of Gospel of Mark to about 70 Another reason is that Paul, who was the most prolific writer of the New Testament um, and was very active founding churches throughout the Mediterranean, never references any of the Gospels right. um, or gives any kind of indication that he knows there are Gospels at all. And it seems strange that even in times when it would be, it would support his point or there are stories in the Gospels that he would want to bring up, he never does. And so it seems likely that Paul just didn't wasn't aware of these writings, which indicates that they were probably after his time, which was mid fifties. Yeah, uh, some some Christians, uh, a minority, I might add, will try to date the gospel the gospel of Mark as being earlier. There's another couple of things that we can 
point to as the gospel of Mark being the first gospel is the fact that Matthew and Luke both copy verbatim about 90, over 90% of Mark between the two gospels. Um, they don't copy 90% each, but if you take Matthew and Luke and take out everything of Mark, you're only left with about 3% of Mark being unique to Mark. And so, and it's not just like similar stories. We're talking about verbatim things. So that alone um, kind of shows that Mark was written first and then Matthew and Luke used Mark to uh, to write their own gospel accounts. Which this isn't something that's just made up. Uh, it's it's even given a name in the field. It's called the synoptic problem. The three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics, meaning seen together. Yes. Um, and I think there are some scholars who argue for Matthean premise, premise, like Matthew's written first, but the vast majority of people um, agree with Mark and Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple. So there's what's called triple tradition, but um, there's a couple scholars who will argue for Matthean priority based on the fact that they say that Matthew was written and then Mark took Matthew's gospel and tried to dumb it down for a Gentile audience um, and because Matthew is primarily written to a Jewish audience. It has a lot of Jewish prophecy and a lot of Jewish tradition in it. And so Mark, they say Mark just didn't need that stuff because his audience wouldn't be familiar with it. So, mm. but most scholars and the consensus is that Mark was, was written first. And then uh, we have Matthew and Luke, which were probably written about the same time and could be anywhere from 10 to 20 years after Mark, depending on you date it. Most scholars will date these to around 85 uh, 80 to 90, depending on, you know, uh, on their, but it, it doesn't make a difference. It's 10 to 15 years after Mark. And then John is another 10 to 15 years after Matthew and Luke. So that's the dating of the gospels. So that alone kind of shows you if Jesus is reportedly died around the year 30, give or take a couple of years, the very first gospel we have is 40 years after that. So um, the the names the that's the dating. So who is supposed to have written these gospels? Right. So the gospels are actually anonymous. There is nothing in them that proclaims to be written by any author. So they're not saying, "I Mark am writing this gospel to account, you know, to, to retell the story. I was there as an eyewitness." They never make any claims about being eyewitnesses, and they're completely anonymous. The authors of the gospels. So. We'll start with Matthew because it's the first gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, uh, the traditional author of Matthew, is usually called Levi um, or Matthew, but they claim that he was an actual disciple of Christ. So the traditional author was there. He was a disciple of Christ. Uh, he was the uh, tax collector. Yes. And then we have Mark, who is sometimes called John Mark. Uh, and he was an early Christian mi uh, missionary. He was the secretary interpreter for Peter, who was also a disciple of Christ. Luke uh, was supposedly a companion of the apostle Paul. So why Paul was an ex actually a disciple of Christ, he was had a vision or he actually met Jesus, depending on if you believe that story or not. So there, you know, that's who he was. And then John is supposedly a also an apostle or a disciple of Christ. And, and in the gospel of John, he's said to be one of Christ's, Christ's closest friends. Even if he does say so himself. Yeah. I mean, if I'm writing a gospel, 
I'm going to make sure that I'm the, <laughs> I'm the closest. Yeah, to Jesus. And then Jesus embraced the beloved disciple who was totally me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the traditional authors of the gospels. Um, what, well, as we alluded to already, they don't claim that at all in any of the four gospels. They're, they're completely anonymous. But it says in my Bible, Jared, the gospel according to Matthew. It does say that. Um, so there's a couple interesting things about this. We don't actually get names for the authors of the gospels until the second century. Some people will try to claim that Papias is the first person to actually men- um, ascribe a name to the author of the gospels. Papias was an early church father. Um, he wrote around 125 AD. Uh, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastical History. Uh, we don't actually have this book. We only know of this book through Eusebius, who was another church father, but he wasn't writing until the fourth century. So we have Eusebius quoted Papias quite extensively, and we're able to kind of recreate some of his actual books. Uh, but Papias is, is claimed to talk about uh, Mark and also Matthew, not Luke or John. But there's still some, there's no evidence that he was actually referring to the actual Gospels. He just talks about Mark and Matthew. And so he could be talking about the Gospels, but he doesn't say specifically that they're the Gospels. We really don't get anything concrete until Irenaeus, who was a church father, who wrote in about 180. And uh, he was writing um, against heresies. So around that time, you have people who are writing all these Gospels. Uh, and if, if you don't know, there's more than four Gospels. There are many Gospels. And so all these Gospels are circulating around the area. And Irenaeus takes it upon himself to say, no, no, these are the four Gospels, and these are who wrote them. And he attributes them to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And isn't that the first time that the four Gospels that we actually have today are named as yes. a group? That is the, fir- the first time they're all named as a group. Irenaeus was also, um, actually he wasn't, it was um, Athanasius who actually wrote about the the canon as we have it today. Uh, uh, yeah, very, the, the, the whole New Testament. Very similar. So sorry, that was a mistake. But so Irenaeus. But there's a couple of things we need to consider here as to why Irenaeus was doing this. And around the end of the second century, there was a big push in the church to claiming that they had authority because their authority was passed down to them through a lineage of apostles. And if you could trace your lineage back to an original apostle of Christ, you had authority. And so what they were doing was saying, we trace our lineage back to the original apostles. These four gospels were written by the, the apostles and therefore they have authority. And Irenaeus was writing against heresies. So heretics who were putting out gospels who were, did not have the apostolic lineage. And so that was kind of the first time that we get that. But all that to be said is, the Gospels were anonymous, and we have no record of any uh, of them being named after or having authorship until the end of the second century, and then maybe with Papias, the beginning of the second century. So you mentioned uh, not maybe not talking about Papias, maybe not talking about the right Gospel. Um, so in from Eusebius, 
we have some quotes of Papias. So this might be confusing for someone who's not familiar with how the New Testament tradition started. Like, if it's Matthew, isn't that it's Matthew? But in uh, fact, like you said, they were originally anonymous. There's no name described to them. And there were multiple Gospels in some cases that, that were called the Gospel according to person. And sometimes right. it'd be more than one version. So what Papias says in book three, or sorry, Eusebius quotes him in book three, chapter 39 of History of the Church. Um, the book he's quoting is Papias's History, book three, chapter 39. He says that Matthew wrote the sayings in the Hebrew language and everyone interpreted him as he was able. That's all he says. Um, and the reason that people think that he wasn't speaking about the Matthew we have is because one, the Matthew we have isn't a sayings gospel. There were some gospels that were just the sayings of Jesus, just like Jesus said X, Jesus said, the uh, was it the Coptic gospel of Thomas is one yes, of those? Yeah. Um, they weren't like a narrative. It was just a collection of sayings. Right. Um, but obviously our Matthew is a narrative. The other thing is that our na- Matthew was not written in Hebrew. No. Or English. It was right. written in uh, Greek originally. All, all four Gospels were originally written in Greek. Right. Yep. And there's very technical um, textual criticism reasons for why they can tell that that I don't understand and won't go into. Um, but basically you can tell for the most part when a text has been translated from one language to another based on the way they construct it or sometimes it'll they'll have uh, sentence structures borrowed from the old version or whatever um and that isn't the case in matthew so it doesn't appear that papius was talking about the matthew we have it looks like he was talking about some other math and then kind of and for mark in the same place he says that uh mark who was the secretary of peter i I don't have the exact quote but it's the same book um and he wrote it down but not necessarily in order he never quotes either gospel so we can't say for certain what book he's talking about for Mark, I think most people think like there's no real reason to think he was not talking about our Mark, I guess, but you know. Yeah. And the, the other thing with uh, Papias too is uh, a lot of Christians will, you know, quote him and, and stuff, but we have pretty good reason to believe he might not be the most reliable source. Um, and without trying to, um, attack his character. Uh, um, this is what he wrote about Judas. So I'm just going to read this little story. This comes from one of Papias's writings. He says, Judas was a terrible walking example of ungodliness in this world. His flesh so bloated that he was not able to pass through a place where a wagon passes easily, not even his bloated head by itself. For his eyelids, they say, were so swollen that he could not, could not see the light at all, and his eyes could not be seen not even by a doctor using optical instrument. So far had they sunk below the outer surface. His genitals appeared more loathsome and larger than anyone else's. And when he relieved himself, there passed through it pus and worms from every part of his body, much to his shame. After much agony and punishment, they say he finally died in his own place. And because of the stench, the area is deserted and uninhabitable even now. In fact, to this day, no one can pass that place without holding one's nose. So great was the discharge from his body, and so far did it spread over the ground. So that's Papias. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
yeah, so not exactly a sober historian <laughs> concerned only about the facts. And it's interesting, uh, Papias talks about how he gets his stories, right? Mm-hmm. In in the parts quoted by Eusebius. I, I To be fair, we should mention that Eusebius didn't like Papias very much. Right, yeah. And so the quotes we have from Papias aren't from someone who... He had an axe to grind. He, Correct. Um, so... It's possible that he's mischaracterizing or being uncharitable in the way he's quoting. We don't have the originals, so we can't say. Right. Well, and also, um, Irenaeus does quote uh, Papias a little bit. There's a few brief expert excerpts from Irenaeus, but the majority of our, our writings that we have come from Eusebius. So. Right. And but all that said, uh, the way that Papias got his information is he would interrogate people who are followers of the elders. He's not. It's unclear exactly who he means by that, but it seems like they were the elders who were themselves the followers, the disciples, and these were people who happened to be he ran into. Yeah. He specifically says he doesn't like books. He doesn't like getting testimony from books. He, um, he wants it from the horse's mouth. Right. Or the horse's 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 mouth. He wants it from the mouth of the mouth of the mouth of the horse right. who originally ate the hay. So. Right. So even so, like you said, Papias believes some crazy things. But um, he got his information from, so it goes from Eusebius in 325 CE mm-hmm. to Papias in 120-something CE. About Papias, 125. Yeah, 120, 125, somewhere in there. Papias got his information from somebody, some elder, um, who got their information from somebody who got their information from the disciples, supposedly. Yeah. That's the chain of... So that's quite a bunch of uh, hearsay. That's where the a lot of the traditional ascription comes from. That's the traditional authorship, and, and that's where we get them. So we don't get them until over 150, 200 years after the – well, over 100 years after the Gospels were written. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that. So they're not – they weren't written – well, we don't know, but – the other thing to say is we don't know who wrote the Gospels. These are just who they were attributed to. Um, so we can't be for certain that who they say wrote these Gospels actually wrote them. Now, to play the devil's advocate, um, what you'll sometimes hear the other side say, so I'm going to pretend to be the Christian in this scenario. We don't get anybody naming the authors until the second century, but once we do start getting names, there's no contradiction. There's nobody ever ascribes them to someone other than the traditional authorship. So doesn't that show that it is correct? If, if these were just being made up, wouldn't we expect multiple authors to kind of be picked out until it winnowed down to the right ones? Yeah, it could be. Um, it could also be back, go back to what we were talking about earlier with, with the apostolic tradition and that by, because they were attributed to, the disciples and the apostles or the apostles, they're kind of synonymous uh, because they are attributed to apostles. Uh, you would want to continue that tradition because it gives more credit to the fact that these gospels are valid and, and truthful. Uh, and so that's kind of where that comes into play. Um, but it could very well be too, that they're, they were attributed to other people and those traditions just died out as well because we don't have those writings. So, so it's possible, but unlikely. Unlikely. So that's where the traditional authorship is. Is there any other reason to think that? Is there anything from the text themselves? Like starting with Mark, 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, th- I mean, I guess it bears saying Mark definitely, even if you believe the traditional story, is not an eyewitness because at best he was a secretary of Peter, right? Yeah. So, and so that's the other thing. So uh, we can we can rule out two of the Gospels right off the bat by not being eyewitnesses because they're not eyewitnesses. So if we take the traditional that you know route that Mark was the the author. He was a interpreter for Peter. So he is not eyewitness. He wasn't there. He was simply interpreting and heard the stories from Peter. So that's hearsay. So he's not an eyewitness. Luke actually opens up his gospel by claiming that he's not an eyewitness. He says, I take it upon myself to collect all these stories that people are passing around because there's a bunch of bull crap flying out there. And I'm going to write my own account and set the story straight. But that's literally verse one, chapter one. Yeah. He starts off the gospel by saying, hey, I'm going to fix what's been going around there. um, And I did the research myself. And this is what happened. So those two gospels alone, we can just straight up say they're not they're not written by eyewitnesses. But they were at least. Well, so Mark, they'll say, um, well, it was written from this. It was stories from an eyewitness. So. Yeah, it wasn't penned by an eyewitness, but it was penned by someone who was next to an eyewitness. With Luke, though, this one has always been interesting to me because, okay, let's say Mark was the secretary of Peter. He's writing down a story from an eyewitness. Maybe you'll consider that secondhand account good enough. But Luke was following Paul, who wasn't an eyewitness to anything. Right. Now, and what, so what they'll say about that, though, what they'll say about that is, well, Paul had an encounter with the risen Christ. And so he could have got all that information straight from Jesus. Like he, it was revealed to him through Jesus. And so it's basically like being an eyewitness. That's kind of what they'll say. Um, Okay. So let's say, yeah. Okay. They were anonymous. They weren't ascribed, but that doesn't necessarily mean they weren't eyewitnesses. Right. Well, there's a couple other things that we can point to to kind of show that the Gospels weren't written by eyewitnesses. Uh, You know, let's take Matthew and John, for example. If, we'll start with Matthew. If Matthew was supposedly written by uh, Matthew, the disciple, or Levi, whatever name you want to call him, um, we can pretty much rule that out right away (laughs) because... Matthew would have been, and he would have been illiterate. He spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak Greek. And Matthew was written in a very highly literate Greek. And so it's very unlikely that he would have been able to learn Greek and write in this high level of Greek in that time. Um, I think there's a couple studies out there that say only 3% of, of the, you know, the world in at that point around that area was literate. Like they both, and that's just being able to read, let alone write. Uh, and, and that even applies to John because John is written in even a much higher level uh, writing in Greek. And so if they were disciples, they wouldn't have known, most likely they wouldn't have known Greek. They would have only been able to speak Aramaic. They probably wouldn't have been able to write or read Aramaic, let alone in Greek. Now, some people will say, well, they could have just, you know, 
you know, told their story and had a scribe uh, translate it for them. But there's there's we don't have any examples of that being done in the ancient world where people would translate from one language and write it into another language. Uh, there's just no examples of that at all amongst ancient texts in the Near East. So, so we have to remember when we're examining any claim to the context is very important. Yes. And so when you're going to talk about these books were rich, which were written in Roman Palestine in the first century, we have to put aside our modern sensibilities and jump into how it was in the first century. So the study about literacy that we talked about is uh, Hezer, H-E-Z-S-E-R, Jewish Jewish literacy in Roman Palestine, and she's the one who gives it a 3%. And it's important to remember, this isn't like some random 3%, but if you were like, if you were just picking at random, if you're just going to, what's my prior for these people being able to read? It's 3%, right? But the 3% would have been concentrated in the aristocratic elite, the people who had the time and the money to get an education. To get an education. A so great education at that. Right. Most people in the time were farmers who were subsistence farmers. They worked day in and day out, and they made just enough yeah. to survive and feed their family. They were day laborers. Right. They didn't have the time or really any reason to become literate. It didn't help them get food. Like they didn't need to read or write to do anything. I think that's something we take for granted in our modern era where everybody is pretty much literate. It's the exception now. uh, But that's because we've, you know, in the Elizabethan age of education, we've developed this system where we want everybody to be able to read and write. And so it's hard to look back on that and say, well, of course they were able to read and write, but it's, that's not the case. Right. And these were, if you, if you believe the traditional authorship, these were Jewish peasants. These were farmers. These were fishermen. Even a tax collector who would have been able to do numbers doesn't mean he can write. Yeah. Um, so it's possible, of course, that they happen to get an education despite being in that socioeconomic strata, but it's very unlikely. Some, It's also possible that they went back and learned later, but there's no, that's just not how things worked in the ancient world. Education was something you got as a child. Yeah. There wasn't like night school in Rome, you know? And also you would have had to have money to be able to mm-hmm. afford an education. And if we believe the traditions about the disciples after the gospels, uh, the gospel accounts, they weren't out there making money. They were living a squalid life, spreading the word of, of the gospel. Right. So, so the and like you said before, these guys are speaking Aramaic, and while they may have known some Greek phrases potentially to get by, maybe um, this isn't. Why would someone, if he's going to learn to read and write, why would he pick Greek? But I think Bart Ehrman puts it really well. Um, he said it is theoretically possible that Peter. Uh, decided to go to school after Jesus' resurrections. Uh, he learned his alphabet. He learned how to sound syllables, then words, then learned to read, then learned to write. Then he took Greek class, mastered Greek as a foreign language, and started to memorize large chunks of the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Yeah. After which he took Greek composition classes and learned to compose complicated and rhetorically effective sentences. Then, towards the end of his life, he wrote First Peter. But that's just not how the ancient world works. So, no. like, And also it bears mentioning being literate doesn't mean you can go write a novel. Being right. literate means you can read to write and to some level, which might not be much more than writing your name. Right. In, in the Gospels, while some people claim they're not at a high literate level, 
they are very complicated in their structure and the way that they were written. And mm. it, these would have, the people who wrote the Gospels would have been extremely educated, well-to-do people. It's, and to bring it back to today just as a parallel, I think pretty much everyone listening to this can go pick up a newspaper and read it. But how many of you could go write that article to the same level? Not as many. And how many of you, you can all read a novel doesn't mean you can compose a novel, you know? And this is in a, a world where 99 plus percent of people are literate. So 3% of people are literate to some degree. It's going to be a much smaller percentage that are literate to the degree necessary to write these works. Right. So that's the literacy thing. But suppose that they went to night school. Um, are there any other reasons to think that they weren't? Um, I think one compelling reason is that they copy each other all the time. Yeah. And I think that's the, probably the biggest, that would be the smoking gun for me is the fact that they do copy each other. Well, not John, but uh, Matthew and Luke basically plagiarize, which wasn't a thing back then. That's a modern term I'm, I'm applying there, but they basically copy verbatim Mark. If they were eyewitnesses, they would not need to copy verbatim. Uh, right. they, they add some embellishments and uh, they change around the timeline a little bit here and there. Which is would be particularly weird for Matthew because Mark wasn't an eyewitness. So why would Matthew, who was supposedly there, feel the need to lift entire passages right. from Mark? And it's interesting, if you look at what Matthew does with Mark, a lot of the things he does is to make it more Jewish. He fixes little mistakes like Mark, for instance, calls David the father of the Jews and Matthew calls it Abraham, which is accurate. So and then um, uh, Mark lists Elijah first, but then Matthew lists Moses first because he's more important. So that's led some scholars to believe that while they were both written in Greek, that Mark was written by a Gentile who was a convert and therefore wasn't as well-versed in the Jewishness. Matthew was written for, by a Jew who probably was a natural Greek-speaking Jew, but he was yeah. ethnically Jewish. And so in part of his gospel, he set about correcting the Jewish mistakes of Mark. The biggest thing, too, is that we need to consider when these gospels were written. We already mentioned that they were written, the earliest one, 40 years after the fact. So... Eyewitness testimony. Let's assume that they were eyewitness tests, eyewitnesses. They're writing this down 40 years after the events took place. Uh, most people know if you play a game of telephone, within two minutes, the stories can change completely. How we got the Gospels, uh, the stories from the Gospels, from oral traditions. So it was stories that people were telling about Jesus and they were telling them, passing them down from one person to another, from one person to another for generations until somebody came along, Mark, and started collecting these stories and these oral traditions and actually wrote them down, um, which is not something that you would, that an eyewitness would do. I mean, it's just, that's not how it happens. So just the, the way that time works, even if they were eyewitnesses, the, you can't even, you, w you wouldn't be able to trust, trust them basically. Something that's commonly thrown out there is that these were written in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, right? So, um, well, even if Mark wasn't an eyewitness, 
he couldn't have just made things up because people could have just checked, right? Because people who were there, who were in Jerusalem at the time, if he was writing a bunch of nonsense, it would be found out. Right. Which I think is a little bit of that modernness creeping in. Well, and also... The scholars say this all the time, too. Yeah. But Um, one thing we need to consider about this is we don't know for sure where the Gospels were written, but we can be really, we can be rest assured that they were not written in Judea. They were most likely written in Syria or Rome, Ephesus, you know, places outside of Judea. So it's not like you're like, oh, I need to go check this source with this eyewitness. Let me uh, drive down the street to Jerusalem and, you know, talk to whoever it is to find out if this is actually how it happened. <laughs> you can't call them up on the phone to verify your source either. So Here's uh, one example for why this might be the case. Um, though it is true that a lot of the geographical details that the Gospels give are accurate, some are very much not accurate. For example, Mark 7.31, Jesus travels out of Tyre. Um, he's going to the Sea of Galilee, and it says he goes by way of Sidon. But if you look at a map, Sidon is to the north up the coast. Yeah. The Sea of Galilee is to the southeast. You literally have to go to Sidon and then turn around, walk right <laughs> past Tyre, and then go to the Sea of Galilee. Now, maybe he did. Maybe he had some awesome adventure in Sidon that was never mentioned. <laughs> but it seems more likely that it was just a mistake made by someone who wasn't intimately familiar with the geography. Right. Um, well, he pulled a Bugs Bunny and took a left turn at Albuquerque. And... Right, right. Um, and... It's we have to remember that people don't change, right? So how many people have heard a story from a friend? Like, oh, my friend, uh, you'll never believe this crazy thing that happened to my friend Jared the other day. Blah, blah, blah story. Is our immediate response, I don't believe a effing word you say. I'm going to go hunt down this Jared guy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not the immediate response, even if it's something important. And even if they wanted to, here's if, if it was word of mouth, um, here's how it would like even let's say Mark wrote it, right? Let's say Mark wrote this gospel or Matthew wrote this gospel. After it gets out into the community, some church guy, some guys in his church in Cyprus or whatever, and hears does probably doesn't read it because again he's illiterate, but here's Ma- uh, Matthew's gospel and thinks it's amazing. So he goes and he tells his wife about it. And then his wife thinks it's amazing, so she tells her friend. Her friend tells her husband, who's a merchant. That merchant goes to Italy and tells some of his friends about it. Yeah. And then those friends tell their wives. Well, who told the merchant's wives? Their husbands did. Who told their husbands? Well, the other merchant did. Who told him? If you, None of the people at the end have any idea who no. Matthew is. They don't know a white eyewitness. They've never even met one. Right. So even if they wanted to confirm it, how would they? And let's not forget that travel in the ancient world wasn't exactly easy or cheap. So it was a dangerous thing. So you want these people who are subsistent farmers, who have no, it's not like they get time off to go travel the world. They're supposed to travel halfway across the known world to check the story. Mm-hmm. That's just not reasonable, especially I got a, uh, <laughs> I actually made this point to our friend Titus from Proselytize or Apostatize. Um, he gave me this this miracle story of a guy who rose from the dead or something. He was a doctor or whatever. He's like, look, isn't this a miracle amazing? And uh, I was like, okay, that's a cool miracle. Is the guy actually a doctor? Well, I mean, I guess so. You know, did he actually rise from the dead? What record do we have of any of this? I started pelting him with questions, and he hadn't checked any of them. He just assumed that the guy who was interviewing the doctor who claimed to be an atheist would have 
would have said something. Right. And I was like, this just goes to show, you know, we want people want us to believe that in the ancient world, someone who heard Paul talking about the 500 witnesses would have gone and checked. But you're asking him to travel a thousand miles through pirate infested waters to check. Meanwhile, you could cruise the entire uh, you have in your hand with the very thing you're using to tell me about this story. You could check every single detail in minutes yeah. and you don't. You don't do it. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> well, that's how humans work. We, right, we exactly people. And, you know, so if we, if you go back to Luke, I know we kind of already talked about this, but it's important to realize that there were a lot of gospels floating around at the time. Mm-hmm. And most of them, uh, there's a genre in the ancient world called pseudepigrapha, mm-hmm. uh, which they were they were written and they are attributed to somebody who was there to lend credit to them, but they weren't actually there. They were written anonymously in the name of somebody else. Uh, and so, when you read Luke one, he specifically talks about the fact that there, he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the thing. So many have undertaken to compile. So he's already admitting there are a lot of, of things going on. Just as they handed us down to those from the beginning who were eyewitnesses, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. So he, he's saying there's all these gospels floating around there. I'm going to take them all, and I've already investigated all these, and I'm just going to make an orderly account for you. Uh, but that right there kind of shows you that this was what was happening. This is how people spread information back then. They they were all writing their own gospels based on oral traditions. None of them were eyewitnesses, and it's just it's just how things happen. So, um, so aside from the ascription for Papias, there's one other argument that I've heard. I actually couldn't find any scholar making this argument, so maybe it's purely a lay argument. Um, the one where the name for Levi changes. Have you heard that? Mm-mm. So there's a, the story. It's in Mark 2.14 where Jesus calls the tax collector Levi, right? Um, and that same story is also reported in Luke, in Luke 5.27. Um, and it's also reported in Matthew 9.9. 9, but in Matthew, the person is not called Math- Levi. He's called Matthew. Um, and so the argument I have heard, and I actually, I couldn't find where I've heard this. So uh, maybe it's all just a figment of my imagination, but I feel like I've heard it um, was that when Matthew was writing his gospel, he wrote his preferred name of Matthew rather than Hmm. his, the other name of Levi. And that just shows that it was Matthew writing it. Cause why else would he change it? The meaning of the word Matthew is gift of God. Yeah. So maybe it was a literary thing. Maybe it was a literary thing. Maybe he just liked the word Matthew. I don't know. Maybe the guy was named Matthew and Levi. I don't. It just seems like a pretty weak thing to hang your hat on, you know. Because ultimately, the the thrust, the the reason that people care whether or not these are written by eyewitnesses is because they're reporting miraculous things. Yeah. This is how we know about the resurrection. This is how we know about all the miracles. And so, if we're going to believe them, people are more inclined to believe them if someone who was there is reporting it. Mm -hmm. So for most people, it seems less reliable if it came to us through oral tradition or whatever. And that's why it's important. And so the the reason that it's important to investigate this claim is if they were not eyewitnesses, the argument goes, 
that it's less we they're less reliable. We are less they are less likely to be accurate in reporting these supernatural right things. And, and we can dive into the reliability of the gospels in a, another episode because you could spend years. In fact, scholars do spend years talking about the reliability of the gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is this is the baseline for that. You know, just showing that they weren't eyewitnesses. Um, and then you kind of go from there. The other, so if you want to talk about Luke for a second, mm-hmm. Luke is writing this to somebody he calls Theophilus. Um, Theophilus is actually a, if you look, if you spell it out in the Greek, it basically means friend of God. Um, Theos meaning God and Philo meaning friend or love. So like the name, this is, this wasn't an actual person because a lot of uh, Christians will claim that, well, you know, Theophilus, he was writing to this person to, you know, give account. Well, actually it's not a real person. It's just, it's just the name he's giving to Christians at the time. Um, It's a literary, it's a literary device. Yeah. So the traditional authors, Luke, who was said to be um, a traveling companion of Paul and in Colossians 4, 7, 14, He's called the beloved physician, right? So that's where we get this. Luke is a physician who traveled with Paul. Um, the first identification of Luke as the author is the one you pointed out before, Arrhenius in Against Heresies, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Other people quoted Luke earlier, but nobody said it was Luke. Right. That wrote so it. They're quoting the gospel, but they never right. say, I'm quoting this from the gospel of Luke. According to Luke or whatever. Yeah. And you know, some, some people say, well, in my Bible, it says the gospel according to Luke. Well, even, so I think that that name is, um, I can't remember. It's like kata or something very similar. Um, anyway, anyways, the Greek word for according to, that doesn't mean written by. Mm-hmm. It means according to. Right. So in the ancient world, there was, if you were, not everything had the author's name like stamped on it. Right. But if you were going to attribute something to an author, it would be it, the word was for ownership, yeah. like um, the histories of Tacitus, not according to Tacitus. Right. If you said it was according to someone, it means I got this story or it was originally from that guy, not that I'm the one. So I think the reason people often or, or they say that that Luke is written by the traveling companion of Paul actually comes from Acts, not Luke itself. So Acts is written by the same author. Um, the same. Well, we, we assume the same author, because if you read Luke and Acts concurrently, it's basically just Luke part two. It's, it's a continuation. Same writing style, same grammatical techniques, errors, all the stuff. So we could, we could be pretty rest assured that it's written by the same author. And in some parts of Acts, when he's it acts follows Paul and his grand uh, conversion, um, his, his tent revival scene. He usually says they went and did this. They went to this place and then they did this thing. But sometimes he says, we did this. He switches abruptly to we did it as yeah. if the author was there. So that leads some people to believe that the author is then saying he was a traveling companion and he happened to be there for that portion. And, you know, there's some letters of Paul too where, Paul will refer to uh, Luke, um, but like if you, I think it's Second Timothy where Paul mentions Luke. He mentions but, him in three letters: uh, Colossians, in, Philemon, mm-hmm. and Luke. Is that right? Colossians, Philemon, and Second Timothy. Uh, I mean, yes, that's the first one. I said Second Timothy, right? 
Uh, well, Second Timothy, most scholars don't think was actually written by Paul. Uh, <laughs> so that was a somebody was just writing in the name of Paul. But and the same with Colossians, right? Is that one's more like fifty-fifty. Yeah, that's kind of uh, I, I. That one might be too. I think actually is actual not an authentic letter, but I mean you can make an argument that it was. But I'm pretty sure that that was also a, a pseudepigrapha. So writing in the name of somebody else. So that leaves you with just Philemon. But I think more damning is that there are, first of all, if you look at the parts where it switches to the we and then switches back, they're really weird. Like sometimes Paul will get to a city, right? Or, or it'll say we traveled here and then stuff will start happening, but the author suddenly isn't there anymore. Or like at one point, Paul does a thing. And it's like, we did this thing. We did this thing. But then Paul and the other guy got arrested, not we got arrested. It's like, well, you were right there. Did you not get arrested too? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you just duck the cops? <laughs> yeah. um, but aside from that, I think it's, and just for those following home, the, the we sections are Acts 16, 10, 20, uh, Acts 25, Acts 21, 1, and Acts 27, 1. That's where those are. But there are some times where Paul frustratingly doesn't talk about himself a lot or like what he did, but he does sometimes and we can kind of piece together what he did. There are a couple times when Paul talks about the same events that Acts talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost every single time they disagree. So like in Acts 17 and in First Thessalonians 3, they both talk about um, Paul going to Athens and then later going to Corinth, right? Um, and in Acts, Paul leaves two of his friends, Timothy and Silas, and doesn't see him. He leaves them behind and doesn't see him again till Corinth. But in Thessalonians, it explicitly says he takes Timothy and then sends him back to Thessalonica. So in one account, he's in Thessalonica, he goes to Athens, and he goes alone. In the other account, he explicitly does not go alone. Right. So which is it? Should we believe Paul about his own life or should we believe Acts? Another time in Galatians, and this one's probably even bigger, um, they both talk Galatians chapter one and Acts chapter nine, both talk about Paul's Damascus road event, right? The the conversion experience. Mm -hmm. And in Galatians, when Paul himself is talking about it, he gets his vision from God. Then he explicitly does not go to Jerusalem. He goes instead to Arabia, and this was important for Paul because he was trying to convince the Galatians, I didn't get this message from the people in Jerusalem. I got it from Jesus directly. Like, mm-hmm. I did not receive this from men. I received it from God. So I got this, this reception. Then I went and preached among in Arabia. Then I went to Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 9, Paul gets converted and then immediately goes to Jerusalem, like within three <laughs> days. Yeah. Well, which is it? And it's so there's stuff like this that it seems if someone was, in fact, a traveling companion of Paul, they would know. But if someone was not a traveling companion of Paul, but was kind of familiar with Paul's story, these are the kind of details they might mess up. Right. Some scholars believe that the we passages are, are merely just false claims to try to lend credit to the fact that they were a traveling companion of Paul to like credit, lend credibility to the story. Now. Why would religious people do that, Jared? Didn't these people think that lying was wrong? It was common practice, whether it was considered wrong or not, to write in the name of somebody or to you know change the story to lend credibility to to your writings. Um, and we have this even within the New Testament. There are half the letters of Paul 
are demonstrably weren't written by Paul, but yet they're still attributed to Paul and the church still keeps them in their canon regardless because of the significance of the writing. So, And even if you believe the traditional authorship for all of the New Testament, there are tons of other gospels and letters that claim to be written by the disciples that nobody thinks were written by the disciples. Yeah, you got the Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, there's two uh, of those. Yeah, there's one the of them is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got the Coptic Gospel, which is a sayings gospel, which is kind of Gnostic in flavor. Yeah. But then you've got, isn't it the infancy narrative? The infancy narrative. Jesus Wait. does some miracles. He kills somebody. He kills and... <laughs> multiple people. It gets so bad that the other people in village are like, Mary and Joseph, you need to calm your son down because yeah. he is like murdering people left and yeah. right. Well, There's a kid who like he he Jesus makes his water pure, and then the kid like kicks mud in it, and he's strike and he's like, "Screw you, kid!" And he makes him like weak and in, like turns him into an old man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's some that's really funny when you when you read it, and it's supposed to be like you know Jesus discovering his powers and like trying yeah. to come to grasp with them and stuff, but. When you read it, it's like, wow, that is some crazy shit. Jesus was a jerk when he was like, according to the Gospel of Thomas, like he was a little shit. (laughs) So you also have the Gospel of Peter. I think uh, Judas has a gospel attributed to him. Barnabas has a gospel attributed to him. Mary has one. Mary, well, not necessarily a disciple, but I mean, she was. um, Mary Magdalene, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, she couldn't be a disciple because she's not a guy. So Obviously. Yeah. But all that to say is. There were a lot of people who were claiming to be people they weren't writing gospels and letters and whatnot. Right. And a lot of these gospels were floating around in like the first half of the second century. And it's easy to see why they would do that. Like, like nobody cares what Bob down the street thinks about Jesus. Right. Like, but if Bob wants people to to hear him because he thinks his message is really important, well, Nobody's going to care what I have to say, but if I can convince them that Peter said it, well, now people are going to care a lot, right? Right. And, and this gets back to the, the apostolic tradition and lending credibility to, to your writings. But it also goes to show how the early Christian church was spreading their message. And it's far more probable to me that this is what happens with our four, our four Gospels in the New Testament is people were gathering sayings of Jesus uh, through oral traditions, and they were writing them down, and then the church uh, at large attributed them to the disciples. Uh, and they did this to lend credibility to them. I mean, that, that seems far more probable than some illiterate fisherman writing a super high literate piece of Greek writing 40 to... 60 70 years after the fact yeah not to mention that people didn't live that long back then anyway so (laughs) yeah john that dude had been old i mean let's say let's say he was let's give him he was 20 when jesus died let's just say he was 20 years old if he so that's 30 so he would have been what 70 80 90 years old by the time i mean that john was written people didn't live that long right it's like yeah so speaking of John, um, the traditional authorship, again, comes from Arrhenius. Uh, this is another argument. And again, I, I don't know if scholars actually make this argument. I know uh, Titus has made this argument. But um, some people point to John 21, uh, verse 24, to say that this one 
the author does claim authorship. Verse 24, it states, um, he, it's Jesus is talking to J- the beloved disciple, John, and also mm-hmm. to Peter. And he's talking to Peter, and Peter asks a question like, what about John? And then that's where 24 picks up. This is the, um, and then Jesus says some stuff about him. Is this the line where he says, this is the yeah. one? This is the time? disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And so some people have said, and actually one of the, some scholars have said this because I saw a uh, rebuttal of it, um, saying, look, this saying it's written by the beloved disciple. But if you actually read it carefully, it's not saying that the beloved disciple wrote this. It says, this is the disciple who testified to these things. He's the author. And we, meaning we, the author, me, and you, the reader, we know that it's true. Yes. So what it's saying is not John wrote this stuff down. What it's saying is John testified to these things. He wrote them down, and now I'm writing them down. And we know it's true because John said so. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very big tell right there. Um, also, I, I think another thing that, um, and that this more, I think, bears on the reliability, so I won't go too deep into it, but um, I'm talking about them being written by eyewitnesses. You can see a clear progression in narrative as you go from Mark being written first to Matthew, Luke, and then to John. Yeah. Um, where thing, Jesus starts in Mark being very humble, doesn't do a lot of miracles, doesn't want to be called the he's Messiah. A, he's actually, this is a secret. It's yeah, it's like, a secret. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to hear about it. And then you get to, and at the tomb, there's just one dude who's just a guy who tells Mary and the women, and they go running off and screaming and never tell anyone. And then Matthew and Luke, Jesus does a little few more miracles. He's a bit more open about it. At the tomb, there's angels now, you know, to John, where Jesus is flinging miracles left and right. And not only is he the Messiah and everybody better recognize, I am God himself. And if you don't believe it, you're going to hell forever. Like, (laughs) and then at the tomb, not only is there two guys, they're both angels. Like, (laughs) well, the thing, so the traditional thing that uh, a lot of Christians will say is it like, well, you know, if there's four people in an accident, they all see things a little different and they're going to record them a little different. Well, that's not what that's not what's happening in the Gospels. Like the Gospel accounts change drastically right. from Mark to John. And, and if that was the case, and I I think it, it is. And again, I think we're straying into the reliability, but fuck it. So well, it does have to do with the eyewitness testimony. Yeah, right? I guess so. You're I, I concede that there's like a little bit of a a discrepancy between one and the other doesn't mean that they weren't eyewitnesses and they're not necessarily reliable overall. Because like you said, eyewitnesses are going to have discrepancies between them and that's fine. It does show that they're not, they're definitely not inerrant, obviously. Well, I've had some people say, well, they are inerrant, but they have errors. It's like, Did I think this word does not mean what you think it means. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but that's not what's happening here. You're seeing a progression, which is what happens to stories over time. Yeah, you know. Um, well, so so some some Christians will claim that there is nothing they they hold the inerrancy within the, the Gospels, and they will say that you know you can um, what's the word harmonize. Yeah, you can harmonize these by you know if you take um, Peter's denial of Christ for example, like the cock crows, you know. Three times he denies Peter before the cock, cock crows three times, but in one gospel he denies him before the cock crows, and after he denies him after the cock crows, and so 
he didn't actually deny him three times. He denied him six times. Right. And so you just they add just them together. Out. Yeah. And the, the one gospel didn't mention the three times before and the other didn't mention it after. So you just, they harmonize it that way. But there's some things that are very hard to harmonize. And, and it goes to, if they were written by eyewitnesses, which we don't think they were, and there's no reason to think they were, their eyewitnesses, their, their accounts are not reliable and, and extremely inaccurate. And uh, we have to remember as skeptics, as people who think the truth is important, the question is never, is this explanation possible? Because the answer to that is almost always going to be yes. Yeah, it could if, be possible. Yeah. If you're willing to do enough mental gymnastics, you can make just about any evidence fit just about any explanation. Yeah. The question is apologetics too. Right. The, they, they want to ask the question, is it possible? And the answer to that is yes, of course it's possible. But the question you should be asking is, is this probable? Is this the most likely? Is right. this the simplest explanation for the evidence? Is it more likely that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John went to night school, something that no one else in the ancient world ever did, to learn this other language and learned how to speak it and write it well enough to write a highly developed novel? Or is it more likely that it was just somebody, some rich person who happened to be a Christian wrote it himself? We might want to talk about some common objections. We've hit a lot of them. Um, but one of them, uh, the objection that they were too early, like they're much earlier than other accounts. So if we don't believe that the Gospels are accurate, we can't believe anything else is accurate. Right. Yeah. Somebody told me this at work uh, today. Um, they said, well, if, if you don't think that the Gospels are accurate, then you can't, you can't, you have to throw out Socrates, you have to throw out Plato, you have to throw out all these other ancient writings. Like, right. Like if you don't believe the Gospels are written by eyewitnesses, then what about Plato? We don't hear about Plato for you know centuries afterwards. Right. Yeah. And it, somebody actually said that to me at work yesterday so. which to me i'd say well first of all yeah i i agree like yeah. i don't know that it was that play that well i guess was it was it plato that wrote stuff down or was it socrates it was plato it was right it's plato one of the two it was plato who is who is a student of socrates right yeah this is something this is that this is something common that christians do uh lee strobel is famous for this <laughs> uh talking about other ancient sources but we're not talking about other ancient sources we're talking about the gospels yeah and we're not making claims about the other ancient sources i i would agree that i don't know yeah. that plato was the author at all i don't even know that socrates was necessarily a real person now we do have there's uh, there's other reasons to think that they were there's contemporary sources who also report on it right. so there's other reasons but i can see that i don't know but one it doesn't really matter like, it doesn't even matter if there was ever a person named Plato. It doesn't make the philosophy any less important. Right. And two, nobody is going to hell forever based on the exact yeah. worded wording of Plato's arguments. Right. And, and Plato and Socrates aren't making claims about divinity. or Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, they'll, they'll say similar things about the life of, um, of the Roman emperor Augustus. We don't have writings from him for like a hundred years afterwards or whatever. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, um, no one is going to hell based on these writings. The exact right. wording of a speech done by Augustus doesn't matter, but the exact wording of a speech by Jesus matters a lot. And nobody is claiming that Augustus rose from the dead. 
Right. Like, <laughs> well, you know. and, and we're venturing into, we're yeah, venturing we're getting into, into credibility and reliability. reliability. We don't want to get into that. You're right. And, which is okay. But I think, I think we've kind of made the point that we have, we have really good reasons to believe that they're not eyewitnesses. Uh, just to recap a little bit, we can say right off the bat that two of the gospels definitely aren't eyewitnesses. Uh, they don't claim to be. And just by the nature of them, they can't be. Luke and then, explicitly says he is not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the other two, we have really good reason to believe that they couldn't be written by eyewitnesses based on one, when they were written to the language and the the level of which these these gospels were written. And so I mean it, it's very clear to me that they're not eyewitnesses. And and one thing too is I'm not some skeptic or, you know, being cynical trying to prove that the the gospels are out there and not eyewitnesses. This is something that I did personally when I was studying this as a Christian and I had a they call it the synoptic problem for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's a problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we <laughs> We have this, to solve it. This isn't some crazy thing that you and I just cooked up ourselves. No. This isn't even something that's like unknown or even like fringe. Like this position that the, that we don't, the Gospels were anonymous. We don't know who they were written by. And there's good reason to doubt the, the traditional authorship. That's the scholarly view. Like, And that's the scholarly view amongst Christians. Yeah. Like Bruce Metzger, for instance. Um, and N.T. Wright, I think also. Yeah. Like these are very conservative Christians who believe he they believe Jesus died, rose three days later. Like they believe all of that. And one thing I'll say too is if you're a Christian listening to this, it, it shouldn't matter to you what I mean, it should matter whether the gospels are eyewitness accounts. It should matter to you. But it doesn't say anything about whether or not you can still view these documents as a theological, you know, faith based document. You can still get stuff from them. But you should ask the question, were they written by eyewitnesses? And most Christians were taught in church growing up that these are eyewitness accounts. And it's preached in the pulpit that mm. we know this from Mark and we know this from, you know, Luke and all this stuff. So, but the scholarly consensus is that these are not eyewitness accounts. So there you have it, guys. The Gospels were not written by eyewitnesses. You can take that one to the bank or the pulpit or wherever it is you uh, share this stuff, whatever. Anyways, uh, so thanks for listening. Um, Like always, if you liked what we had to say, give this uh, podcast a like or rate it on iTunes. It helps other people find it. Um, If you have thoughts or think we're wrong or we missed something, Tell us on our Facebook page, Reason to Doubt, Reason 2, the number two. Um, I monitor that page all the time, and Jared goes on there sometimes. Um, so you can tell us in excruciating detail why you think we're wrong. Um, and if you liked it and you'd like to hear what we have to say in the future, just like the page, and we'll announce the next time we do a podcast. Um, but until that happens, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. <laughs>